We're going to continue our uh, study in uh, Romans 6. And um, I've entitled uh, the, um, as you can see, this talk, Whose Slave Are You? So we'll just read Romans 6, 15 to 23. What are we to do then? Should we sin to our heart's content since there's no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought. Don't you realise that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully, for you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master, and it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. And God is pleased with you, for in the past you were servants of sin, but now through your, your obedience is heart deep and your life is being moulded by truth through the teaching you are devoted to. And now you celebrate your freedom from your former master sin. You left its bondage and now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servants. I've, I've used the familiar terms of a servant and a master to compensate for your weakness to understand. For just as you surrendered your bodies and souls to impurity and lawlessness, which only brought you more lawlessness into your lives, so now, you surrender, so now surrender yourselves as servants of righteousness, which brings you, in, brings you deeper into true holiness. For when you were bound as servants to sin, you lived your lives free from any obligation to righteousness. So tell me, what benefit ensued from doing those things that you're now ashamed of? It left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So continue, sorry, so consider the benefits you now enjoy. You are brought deeper into the experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. For sin's meagre wages is death, but God's lavish gift is life eternal, found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. So last time we, we looked at Romans 6, the first few verses, we looked at being co-crucified, co-buried and co-resurrected with Christ. And how our sin nature was crucified on the cross with Jesus so that we can, we can live in the new life of God with Jesus. So this passage then, it goes on to elaborate on just how, just who we are now and what we have become as slaves of righteousness. So slaves of righteousness sounds like a negative thing, but bear with me because it's, it's, it really is a positive thing. In verse 16, there is a stark warning about being careful who we choose to obey. Sin, which leads to death, or righteousness, which leads to eternal life. And to be a slave of something is to become an instrument in serving your master's interests. A slave serves his or her master. But now... Through our union with Jesus, we are free. Free to choose between two masters, sin and living free of our obligation to God or obedience to God and his ways. The old master, sin, is intent on destroying those who serve it. And Paul talks about it as if it is a person, which it is. It's Satan himself and the demons. Satan comes to kill, to kill steal and destroy, it says in John 10.10. 10. But our new master, righteousness, seeks obedience to those things that please God and give life to those who serve him. So Paul here is talking uh, to both those who are yet to give their lives to God, but he's also talking to Christians. 
So how many of us never sin? None. We all sin. But when we are saved, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and he speaks up and lets us know when we've sinned or when we're contemplating sin. As we learnt last week, like the last time, our sin nature has been crucified. But because of the fall and the presence of the enemy, we are still tempted. The enemy comes along and he whispers in our ear and incites us to sin. But here's the good news. In verse 14, it says, remember this, sin will not conquer you for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. That's really good news, isn't it? We're never as free as when we live in the purpose for which we were creating. Just as, as choosing sin binds us closer to sin, choosing righteousness frees us to live in harmony with God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and also in our divine calling. We are alive to God and he is incredibly willing to have fellowship and intimacy with us if we will just give him the time and if you give him the time you are so blessed you just connect with him in such a an incredible way that he just is waiting for us to um to, to, to just give him some time and i don't know if you've been listening to the things that i've been posting on the carry the fire whatsapp about the prophet speak but it's been it's been really encouraged by um i've been really encouraged by listening to to jared cooper and, and the prophets it's so exciting because God really is doing something new in the church. And when I was right, watching Rachel Hickson on uh, whenever it was Wednesday, I think she was saying we're yet to see it in its entirety. We just need to wait for the power to come. And she was talking about how the disciples were waiting in the upper room. So Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, said, wait here, wait in Jerusalem for the gift that my father promised. So they'd known God through the, um, you know, through the Torah. They'd grown up studying the, the Old Testament and they knew about God. They'd lived with Jesus, but they were yet to experience and fully know who the Holy Spirit was. And I think that's where we are. Um, we're waiting because it's been prophesied that maybe on Pentecost, you know, the Holy Spirit is going to pour out again on this nation and the nations of the earth. And I am really excited for that. And we've got to be really ready. But um, but that's what we're doing. We, we are now waiting like the disciples did in the upper room, not really knowing what the church is going to look like after lockdown. And it's this anticipation, which is an excitement. And I can feel the excitement right rising in me. And I don't know what we're waiting for, but we know that it's going to be good. We know it's going to be powerful because it's coming straight from the throne room. You see, in intimacy, we get to know God's heart for us. He deals with anything within us that would stop the Holy Spirit from doing through us what he wants to do. And in the, in the secret place, we get to be endured with power from on high. And that's so exciting. And we're all going through circumstances at the moment which are beyond our control. But we serve a God who has ultimate control. We can trust him. And as Heather mentioned earlier when she was talking in the communion, in the middle of a huge galaxy, billions of miles away from our planet, God planted an image of the cross. And we are held together 
by a, ton, a tiny protein molecule called laminil, laminin, which, what, guess what, is in the shape of a cross. That just covers it. it I mean, I, I'm still trying to drink that revelation in, that the, the, the cross can be in the, the galaxy far, far away, so to speak, and yet the cross is within us. And Heather's was right. Everything comes back to the cross. We can trust him. Oh, what it is to be alive to God. Just incredible. So another thing that jumped out at me from this passage is that twice Paul mentions true holiness. In verse 19, it says, For just as you surrendered your bodies and souls to impurity and lawlessness, which only brought more lawlessness into your lives, so now surrender yourselves as servants of, of righteousness, which brings you into, deeper into true holiness. And then on, in 22, verse 22, it says, But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. Hallelujah. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. You are brought deeper into the experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. Now, did you know that there is a difference between holiness and righteousness? I hadn't really thought about this until I started studying this passage. They, they are two different things in scripture. Holiness is a state of character, while righteousness is a state of position. Holiness points to how you are, where righteousness points to where you are. Holiness is what you choose to make yourself by following and being devoted to God. And righteousness is what God makes you. Holiness depends on you. Righteousness depends on God. Isn't that incredible? You see, everything about God is holy. True holiness is to be absolutely devoted to God in all that we do. We must demonstrate who he is to a lost and dying world. And holiness surrounds God's throne. And we are seated in heavenly places, which is incredible. Revelation 4 verses 1 to 2 and the end of 8 says, Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a heavenly portal open before me. And the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, Ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. Instantly, I was taken into the spirit realm and behold, I saw a heavenly throne set in place and someone seated upon it. And then the last part of verse 8b is they worshipped without ceasing day and night, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the almighty, the was and the, the is and the coming. Every single second of every single day, the angels are worshipping God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that incredible? And then Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. So there's been a lot of co Co's, hasn't that? We're co-crucified, we're co-buried, we're co-resurrected, and now in Ephesians it says we are co-seated with Christ, seated in the heavenly places. Isn't that incredible? So the Hebraic and Greek concept of holiness means to be set apart, 
to be clean, to be good, to be pure, to be godly, to be sacred. We are to be a people set apart for God as God is set apart from all other gods. To become holy, we have to make the right choices. We have to choose goodness and holiness over wrongdoing and sin. We need to yield to Christ and to God's word. And in 1 Peter 1, verse 15 to 16, it says, Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For scripture says, you are to be holy because I am holy. And then in Matthew 6, verse 24, Jesus says, How could you worship two gods at the same time? You will have to hate one and despise Sorry, hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. So the question is this morning, whose slave are you? We We all have basic needs that need to be fulfilled. And the question is, where do we go? Where do we go to get our basic needs met? Ecclesiastes 3, 11 says, Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. That is absolute. I love that verse so much. He has planted eternity in the human heart. So this means that God has put a need within us that only he can fulfill. How wise is that? When he created us, he, every single one of us, he put a need within us that only he can fulfill. The trouble is that people try and that people try all sorts of things to fill that gap. Drugs, alcohol, money, career, sex, relationships, adventure, power, recognition, achievement. But all in the end, some of these things are, are really good and there's, you know, but in the end some of these things can become idols in our lives and that's when it becomes a sin. If we put all of these things before God, and at the end of the day, things like drugs and alcohol and anything else, they, they, in the end, they leave us feeling empty. But if we devote ourselves to God and to his word and to his ways, then he will become the one who fulfills that God-shaped hole. Because we all have a need for something beyond ourselves. And God will fill that hole rather than leading us to hopelessness and to despair. And when I looked to the world for acceptance, the world rejected me. And when I became a Christian at 11, I was so excited that the next day I announced it to my friends at school. And guess what? They threw their arms around me and cheered. No, they made fun of me. And I was already being bullied. So I just gave them another excuse for them to bully me. But I knew that I had begun a relationship with Jesus an eternal relationship that would never end, that would go on forever and ever and ever. And I knew that if nobody else loved me, Jesus did. And ultimately I had an eternal life with God. And Philippians 3.20 says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. And if we think on who we are as citizens of heaven. It's awesome, isn't it? How then should we act 
If we are citizens of heaven, not we don't, we aren't citizens of heaven when we die. When we say yes to Jesus, at that point, we then begin eternal life. We are, we are, it says we are citizens of heaven, not we will become citizens of heaven. So just think on that at the, you know, for a moment. And if we are citizens of heaven, how then should we act at school, at work, with our friends and family? Does it make a difference? Should it? If we know who we are spiritually, then it should make a difference to how we act, how we see people, how we treat people. The reality is that there will always be people who will reject God. The Bible makes that very clear. There'll always be people who will laugh at Christians. But the Bible says in Romans eleven twenty five. I want you to understand this mystery, dear friends, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard, hard hearts, but this will only, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. So this would imply then that God already knows who are His and who will come to Him because of the phrase "until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ." Therefore, we don't know who it is that we talk to or we mix with that is included in that number. And there was, it was either a song or a, phrase, a, a saying way back, but it's as true now as it was then. You're the only Jesus that some will ever see. And I want to tell you a, a, a personal experience that, that I had. Some of you will know this story, but... Some of you won't, so I'll I'll um I'll I'll tell you again. I um lost a very dear friend of mine last year to to cancer, and um we'd been friends since school and we met through all all through school together, and um you know on occasion we would meet up and go for a drink or a walk around Himley, um, and then a few years ago uh you know we, she got she got breast cancer and so I spent some time with her then and we'd go for, but she re- recovered from that and then kind of you know friends that you sometimes you, d- you don't see them for ages and then you know you can just give them a call well before Christmas the, this last year um I think it was, it was just after Christmas the Holy Spirit kept prompting me every day you need to ring Jenny you need to ring Jenny and every day I thought oh well I must do that and this went on for a week. And then on the Monday, I, um, I saw her in Sainsbury's and uh, she told me that the cancer had come back. And she was crying. She's not, she wasn't a person to, to cry. She was, she was the, probably the happiest person I've ever, I've ever met. So this, this just, you know, floods of tears. So, so I said to her, look, can we meet? I'll come and I'll come. Uh, to see you and I'll pray for you so we arranged for the next Monday and I went and I prayed for her and after that every few weeks I would take her uh, for a drink uh, you know at the garden centre and we would you know we would have a laugh and and um, and I used to I used to kind of talk to her about God but not in the way that I would want to have done and I really didn't understand this and and every time we used to get together, I used to say, pray, pray, please, Lord, let me have a conversation with Jenny about you. And, you know, we'd talk about lots of things and I would talk to her about the Lord. But, but you know, it seemed that she didn't want to talk about her illness or, or about death. So, you know, the, the uh, I think in probably June time, uh, 
uh, I texted her, you know, to see whether she wanted to go out. And um, this time, I, her partner texted me back to say that she'd had a seizure and she uh, health had deteriorated and she was now in a hospital bed um, downstairs. So from that moment on, I used to I used to go on a Monday and sit with her uh, only for the last four weeks. And um, I think the first week we went, I went and I prayed with her and uh, she was quite, you know, she was quite communicative and so I just prayed and, and left. And then the second week, uh, she was a bit less communicative. And then the third week I went and there were two other friends. Um, and she was in and out of consciousness. And she was very high on morphine because she was seeing things. And so she would say, can you see those those um, elephants in the sky or, you know. And so I was really concerned because it was, it was clear that she was, she was, you know, she was dying. And so the two friends left and I thought, no, I've got to, I've got to take this opportunity to talk to her about the Lord. And so I could see it. She, she was looking above my head and I said, what are you looking at, Jen? And she went, laces, I can see red laces above your head. So immediately I just said, can you see angels? And she went, no, I can't. And anyway, so then I took the opportunity. That was God opening the door of opportunity Uh for me to 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 uh, you know to speak to her about the Lord, and so I said to her, Jen, as a friend, as a as is you know your friend and as a pastor, I need to to talk to you about Jesus. Um, so I quoted you know John three sixteen and the scripture in Acts when it says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that day she then allowed me to lead her to the Lord, but the one thing that she said that seemed to make everything before when I when I'd not really understood why God had not asked had not let me talk to her about Jesus she said these words she said Jen you and Chris are Jesus to me and I was so overwhelmed because Jenny had never really heard the gospel she'd been to Sunday school but once she kind of left school and didn't you know she didn't it's not that she rejected God but she'd never even thought about him and yet, she said those words, you and Chris are Jesus to me. And I, I just understood that, that she saw Jesus in us and that in me. And that was all that she needed to know that Jesus was real. And it was so humbling. Um, and then the next, uh, you know, I just left her. I, I led her to the Lord. I, you know, she said, Amen to the prayer. And I just said, I said, Jen, you'll be all right now. And um, and then the, the next Monday I went, she was in a coma and she didn't respond at all. I used to, you know, I stroked her arm and, you know, her head and she just was out of it. In fact, I think her spirit had gone. It was just her body that was closing down. And then sadly, the next morning um, she died. Um, and I just think that, you know, those words, you're the only Jesus some will ever see, that experience for me just confirmed that you don't have to say much. Just do stuff. Just be kind. Just be, you know, just be there for people. Because Jesus can use that. The Holy Spirit can use you in ways that you will never know. You know, I, I just I just love Jen. You know, I loved spending time with her. You know, and, and I would just you know, go and, and, and take her out. But I didn't know that Jesus just wanted 
to confirm that she that he was working through me to show her to show her himself. And so sometimes we just don't have to say things, many things. We just have to do. We just have to be kind. One day Jesus is coming back, and when you look at life from an, an eternal perspective, it makes it all the more urgent to know who we are, and to present Jesus to 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 people in a way that the Holy Spirit can use. Kids at school, you just have to not give in to peer pressure by saying no to smoking or saying no to, you know, uh, you know, drugs or even just saying no to things that we know are wrong. People will know that we that we are we are Christians and who knows how the Holy Spirit will use that situation to bring glory to himself and to bring people to him. We are citizens of heaven. Not we will be when we die, but we are now. And heaven is an exciting place and we are called to bring heaven to earth. We can still enjoy all the beauty and the majesty of God's creation. We can enjoy hobbies and leisure time as long as it doesn't become an idol that leads us to sin. But let us be devoted to God and his ways. Not be tempted to listen to our enemy and give in to sin. So how do we practically apply what we've heard today? How can we choose obedience to God over sin? I've got four very quick things that are that, uh, practical things. So number one, flee temptation. That is change your circumstances. Physically move from where you are if needs be. If you are feeling tempted and, you know, just change your circumstances, flee temptation. Number two, do something that honours God as an alternative. So if you're in a situation where you feel tempted, like, who was it, Joseph, when he, when he was being seduced by that woman, he, he just fled. He fled from the situation. Do something that honours God. Prayer is good. Answer the urge to sin with a godly activity, whatever that means for you. And thank God for the freedom and the power to choose him over wrongdoing and ask him for encouragement ask him to help us spiritual warfare which it is is very exhausting we are always in spiritual warfare every single day there is temptations in our way and it's all spiritual warfare warfare but you see we've got the armor of god if you read ephesians 6 we have an armor of god we've got the belt of truth the shoes of peace the breastplate of righteousness the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit and the um the breastplate, is it a faith? That's our armour, if you can read it in, in, um, in Ephesians 6. Because we need it for spiritual warfare. And fourthly, try to discern what triggered the temptation and take steps to steer clear of, this, of that same situation. So in the 80s, Wham! in their um, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go video had a t-shirt on it. Uh, had a t-shirt on that said choose life and everyone bought one me included it was quite trendy for, for a while to have a choose life t-shirt and that's the essence of what paul is saying in this passage choose life choose obedience to god choose holiness because it will lead to life everlasting we worship a god who doesn't demand but he empowers us to live a godly life we don't have to try and do it on our own. How brilliant is that? 
We worship a God who doesn't demand, but he empowers us to live a godly life. So I think to finish with, we'll just read the, the passage that we started off to, uh, to just seal it within our hearts again. Okay. Whose slave are you? Verse 15. What are we to do then? Should we sin to our heart's content since there's no law to condemn us anymore? What a terrible thought. Don't you realise that grace frees you to choose your own master? But choose carefully, for you surrender yourself to become a servant, bound to the one you choose to obey. If you choose to love sin, it will become your master and it will own you and reward you with death. But if you choose to love and obey God, he will lead you into perfect righteousness. And God is pleased with you. Just remember that God is pleased with you. We forget that so often, don't we? God is pleased with us for in the past you were servants of sin. But now your obedience is heart deep and your life is being molded by the truth through the teaching you are devoted to. And now you celebrate your freedom from your master, from your former master sin. You've left its bondage and now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servants. I've used the familiar terms of a servant and a master to compensate for your weakness to understand. For just as you surrendered your bodies and soul to impurity and lawlessness, which only brought more lawlessness into your lives. So now surrender yourselves as servants of righteousness, which brings you deeper into true holiness. For when you were bound as servants to sin, you lived your lives free from any obligation to righteousness. So tell me, what benefit ensued from doing those things that you're now ashamed of? It left you with nothing but a legacy of shame and death. But now, as God's loving servants, you live in joyous freedom from the power of sin. So consider the benefits you now enjoy. You are brought deeper into the experience of true holiness that ends with eternal life. For sin's meagre wages is death, but God's lavish gift is life eternal, found in your union with our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. And we are privileged people this morning, aren't we? We are privileged to know God and to love God and just to be loved by him. It's just incredible that we are loved by God. And as we've said before, we were chosen from the foundation of the world and, um, and we're loved. So, so that's it. Uh, whose slave are you? I'll leave that thought with you to ponder. And, uh, and that's it. Amen. <laughs> So, um, so we'll just finish with uh, a song, um, Amazing Grace, because that is, at the, at the end of the day, when you think about it, it is just amazing grace. Okay, so I'll just put that on. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> I'm doing it again. God, what is it? 
Yeah. Un unshare the screen. Unshare the screen. Start the video. Oh, then share it. Hey. Yay! Hey.